BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Episode 132 of the Highly Relevant Podcast, a Latinx show where I interview the people and discuss the moments that are shaping our American and Latino pop culture. Well, um, had a whirlwind of a week. Uh, maybe some of you know, maybe some of you don't, but around no October, November is when award season starts. And if you're a film critic or you're in the movie business, um, it's about four or five months of just going to movies, receptions, events, talking to peers, colleagues, and it's essentially a campaign. And if you happen to be a voter like I am for the BFCA and the NYFCO and the LEJA, which is the Latino Entertainment Journalists Association, um, everybody's hitting you up to go to some sort of event so you can vote for them. But Let's be honest. <laughs> it's more like, how can we sway your opinion to like our movie so you can vote for it so that way we can give it an award? Um, and that's what it kind of all boils down to, you know, is, is this campaign season where movie studios and movie companies spend a lot of money to make it happen. So I got a chance to see The Marriage Story on Monday at the Paris Theater, and then there was an after party at the Oak Room at the Plaza Hotel, which is right next door. And if you guys have been to New York and you've seen or have been to the Paris Theater and have hung out, obviously, at the Plaza Hotel, which is an iconic landmark here in New York City, um, it was like a quintessential night. It was actually Sunday night. And it's one of those moments that you just... It's New York. It's like a postcard moment. And it was just awesome. Uh, Adam Driver was there. Scarlett wasn't there, by the way, but Laura Dern was with Alan Alda, Ray Liotta. Great cast, very intimate, very fun. Um, and uh, the movie was great. It's like 2019's Kramer versus Kramer. That's what you can expect. It's sort of like a a love story masked in a divorce story. It's it's really interesting and very well performed. I expect uh, award nominations for that, definitely. Then I had a chance to go to a Frozen 2 VIP screening that was set up by Disney and that was hosted by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Uh, Anna Dina Menzel was there. Kristen Bell was there. Bobby and Christina Lopez. Uh, they are probably the hottest songwriter team in Hollywood right now. Definitely on Broadway, but in Hollywood as well. Uh, they did the full soundtrack of Frozen. They, they wrote Let It Go. They wrote Remember Me from Coco that won an Oscar award. 
Um, and now they're back writing the full soundtrack of Frozen 2. And there's this one big song. But ultimately, Frozen 2 just wasn't as good as Frozen 1 and that phenomenon. And, you know, it, it's unfair to, to, to equate them. But, I mean, it is a sequel. And we live in a world where we're always comparing things. So if you wanted to compare it, definitely part one was much better. But that doesn't mean that part two was bad. It was just... A little predictable. Like you knew what was gonna happen. I knew what was gonna happen from like 20 minutes into the movie of how the ending was gonna be. Nevertheless, this is a very good sequel that you can be proud of, but don't expect the phenomenon of what Frozen One was. Uh, then I got a chance to see Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, which is the Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers uh biopic. That really isn't a biopic. It's more the story of a journalist that wrote an article for Esquire about Mr. Rogers and how he was a broken man who somehow was fixed by Mr. Rogers and his kindness was the thing that did it. It was the catalyst of this man going through this journey. Uh, so don't expect the documentary type of thing. And by the way, I thought the, doc the documentary was better than this feature length version of the film. I also saw The Two Popes. Uh, that stars Jonathan Price, Anthony Hopkins. And um, I happen to think this is the best movie of 2019. It's essentially the... Uh, it's, a, it's like inspired in a true story, but with fictitious elements of the current Pope, Pope Francis, Jorge Bregoglio from Argentina, um, and the previous Pope after that, that never really left, but he resigned, he quit. He just felt like God wasn't speaking to him anymore and they both come together to create like I think it's the second time in history that there are two popes that are living and that are still popes but one is functioning and the other one isn't the other one's like in retirement um and it kind of explains how this meeting or this friendship came together and how the result of the two popes in the Vatican City occurred and it's incredible that there's really just a lot of talking here between two people, but the, the writing is so good and the direction is so good and the editing and the pace and the flow and nothing ever feels boring in this movie. And um, to have Spanish being spoken and, and to have a character from Argentina, it, it, was, it, was, it was blissful. And so if you get a chance to see it, The Two Popes was just absolutely uh, incredible for me. But this week, actress, singer, and producer Ana Villafane joins me to talk about what it feels like to be a part of not one, but two shows on NBC, the reasons why she hasn't returned to Broadway just yet, why she's been so transparent on speaking about mental health publicly, and why producing her recent Latinx cabaret event for Hispanic Heritage Month in New York was such a fulfilling experience for her. It's time to give your weekly pop culture news recap in a segment I like to call Jacked In. Let's begin with the top movie news of the week. Netflix just licensed the rights to produce a Beverly Hills Cop sequel with Eddie Murphy. Isai Morales to receive Lifetime Achievement Award from International Puerto Rican Heritage Film Festival. Lin-Manuel Miranda hosted a Frozen 2 event in New York. And Spike Lee's next movie will be a 1980s hip-hop story called Prince of Cats. 
In TV news, a Friends reunion with the original cast in the works at HBO Max. Walking Dead actress Cristian Serratos will play Selena Quintanilla in Netflix's new TV series. Eva Longoria is producing a Latinx family comedy inspired by Mexican-American chef Aaron Sanchez at ABC. And Ricky Gervais is returning to host the Golden Globes on January 5th on NBC. Switching over to music, Spaniard singer Rosalia swept the Latin Grammys with five awards, including Album of the Year and Best Urban Song. Alicia Keys will return as the host of the Grammy Awards in 2020. Taylor Swift is at war with her former record label again. And a new study finds Americans are listening to music less and spoken word audio more. And in tech and social media news, Instagram will start making likes private in the U.S. this week to random selected users. 10 million people have already signed up to Disney+. Apple is considering bundling digital subscriptions as soon as 2020. And the New York Times is launching a 5 to 10 minute spinoff of the daily podcast focusing on the impeachment. We need more money, Helen. My clinical trial's you coming You mean up. our trial? Yes, you know what I mean. But the startup costs I hear you. Are... We are not selling the proton beam laser. Cutting edge and cheap don't exactly mingle. $40 million can go a long We're way. We're the only hospital in the tri-state area offering proton beam therapy. Where are all those patients going to get treatment? All six of them? Ana Villafane, welcome to the Highly Relevant Podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Hi. So first of all, congratulations on not one, but two recurring roles on NBC, uh, Sunnyside and New <laughs> Amsterdam. You know, most people uh, wait a lifetime to just get one show on broadcast TV and you're already living it with two. Explain to me how, was that surreal? Like, I have so many actor <laughs> friends who can't gig. They just can't get a gig. They just can't get a job. Uh, they go to pilot and yeah. pilot's never greenlit. And here you are with two shows. Do you feel like you're rubbing it in your actor's friends' faces uh, once in a while? Oh, no. I mean, definitely not. Um, anybody who knows me knows I'm just excited to be, like, out here doing the thing, you know? And, and luckily, I mean, Sunnyside came first. I had done the pilot, and then when we found out we were picked up, I was already just floating and so excited to work with that team, with that cast, with all these comedian superstars who I've always looked up to. And then New Amsterdam kind of came out of nowhere. Out of left field, I get this email that they were interested in having me read for this character who's kind of a shark and who's this assertive, mm -hmm. like, really, um, uh, I guess, very uh, sharp-shooting oncologist named Dr. Valentina Castro. And I was like, well, will Network even let me do that? So I guess I just became... Uh, somehow they made it happen and they, they made me available and they made it work. And I guess, you know, lo que es pa ti, nadie te lo quita. Eso es verdad. Yeah, so like where these, these fierce women, these fierce Latina roles kind of came up and I was like, can I do both? Like, will you, will they give me the opportunity? And they have. And it's been really nice to, to work with a network that's so inclusive and that's so like ready and willing to champion me, of course, as an individual, but it's so much bigger than me. It's having those narratives out there with these like fierce characters. It's not common to have two shows on the same network, right? <laughs> no, I kept telling my mom at first, I was like, just leave NBC on all the time and then I'll just pop up. <laughs> it's like I'm coming over for dinner, Tuesday nights and Thursdays. And then it's nice because now Hulu bought Sunnyside so people can watch. Both of them actually are streaming at all times. So it's it's really fun when I get like, text in the middle of the night from my friends. They're like, oh my God, I'm finally catching up. I'm obsessed with, you know, so-and-so from Sunnyside, especially the the twins, the uh, my Maylin and Jun Ho, those characters are like popping off. 
And then on the New Amsterdam side, I'll have like my aunts, like my tias, <laughs> hitting me up in the DMs, being like, oh my God, we're so proud of you <laughs> and all that stuff. But it's fun. You know, so I know you from On Your Feed where you played Gloria Stefan. I'd interview you several times for the for that show. Uh, which is such a big hit. Mm -hmm. And I know how tough it was because I, I believe it was your debut on Broadway, correct? Oh yeah, that was my first Broadway audition. <laughs> That's insane. I mean, seriously, it's like, it's insane. And, and you know, not to belabor this, but on the podcast, we talk about this a lot just because it's a factual reality. Not a lot of Latinx get opportunities that, that others do, that other cultures do. Um, and right. we you know, uh, your accent is too strong. You know, you look too Latina. Can you look a little bit more American? What the hell does American look like? You know, and we, hmm. we battle through a lot of these challenges in our industry, whether they're microaggressions or subconscious uh, prejudice or whatever it may be. Have you been able to wrap your head around your success at such a young age? It's not like you've been in the business for 20, 30 years and now finally things are kicking in after all that hard work. Do, do you sometimes feel like there's a little, you know, a, a guardian angel, you know, always around you? I actually do feel that. Um, but, you know, people don't know that I actually moved to LA when I was 18 years old and I didn't know anybody and I was out there doing every Taco Bell commercial and doing every getting killed, being the victim of every gang crime on procedurals and such, and doing like episodes of America's most wanted and doing all these, all, you know, I, I did climb the ladder. It was just kind of on the, on the DL. Like I was more um, just focused <laughs> on, on, on eventually attaining that thing that would be a success. And that would, you know, give me something to really sink my teeth into. So it actually did take some time for me to find or for, for the industry, I guess, to even notice that I was around. But I definitely feel guided and I definitely feel like I've had humans who have been like guardian angels, obviously Gloria Stefan being one of them, Jerry Mitchell, our director, who picked me out of all these classically trained musical theater roles. I had no formal training. And and then to then people like Gloria Calderon, people like Cal Penn, people like everybody at NBC, my team, um, who just have seen things in me that I don't even see myself. I have breakdowns all the time where I'm like, why am I even here? How did I get here? And um, but I just work hard, you know, keep it humble and just do the work. Well, as you know, Anna, this business can be very punishing for a lot of actors and mental health has historically been shaming for those who speak out loud about it. Uh, you have spoken about some of your issues on mental health on social media. Uh, what's been your experience and have you found talking about it publicly helpful? Right. Um, well, I mean, a lot of stuff has happened. <laughs> we don't have that much time, I think. But just being thrown into the public eye and being really young and trying to do something and make a difference and and be the best version of myself while figuring out who I even am, you know, that's the journey of growing up that all of us face. And so doing so uh, under the pressure of like social media and, and having a job to do that I really felt strongly about a responsibility that I wanted to um, to, to do it well, to do my job and do it well. It's one thing to get the job. A lot of actors mm -hmm. and a lot of like celebrity culture now, like you look at the Kardashians and like just the, the, the atmosphere of the entertainment industry is just being out there and just do like, just being some sort of persona, being a brand, like whatever that even means. <laughs> and so I've always kind of tried to, <laughs> and so I've always tried to really focus on realness. And that's something that I started saying a lot when I first moved to New York and with, 
um, you know, all these young kids looking up to us, it's up to us to not feed into that uh, insecurity and to not hopefully create this new generation of just shells of humans. And so the realness and the struggles, and it's not always, I woke up like this. Like it's <laughs> sometimes you woke up and you look horrible. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so just, just kind of, uh, breaking down that barrier between what is on the outside and what is on the inside, which then I think makes people feel more at home. And then maybe it'll help with the art. So then they can see themselves really reflected, whether it's on stage or on screen through these characters and they don't seem so unattainable. Like I look at these people sometimes and I'm like, literally, what are you? You know, it's like a, it's like robot mm-hmm, and they mm-hmm. look beautiful, but like that, you know, a mannequin can wear a dress. You know, I want to, I'm interested in the person I'm interested in, in the mind and the personality and, but that's always been kind of how I was raised, I guess. So I, guess I think I have to attribute it to my parents. <laughs> Do you feel, um, that sometimes we're punished for being real in this industry where everything seems to be a performance? I mean, look, it's, it's entertainment for a reason. And so I definitely think that there's value to both sides for sure. Um, and I get it. It's all, but, but it's, a it's a matter of not taking it too seriously where it can eat away at you. There's nothing wrong with like playing the game and owning a red carpet and like being fierce, <laughs> yeah. but you can also be like a good person and you can also be kind and you can also, uh, you know, it's very competitive, but you can also champion other people and be, be a cheerleader for, for your peers. And like, I, I, I don't know. I think that there's a lot of power in that. We're knowing that the, there's room for all of us. And especially as I guess people of color and as any kind of marginalized group, whether it's based on your exterior or your preferences or orientations, like that is what's going to help us move forward because it's, it's, it's a matter of all of us saying, Hey, we're all going through this crazy thing called life. And yes, it's beautiful and it's magical and it's wonderful, but like there's also some real stuff going on. So I think the more people are open and honest about it, the more we can all just, create art and uh and just kind of live among each other without drama so talking about latin x recently uh you produced a a a huge event um yeah we wanted to do it a little different yes so tell me a little bit about the concept uh you were the one uh, behind the scenes making this whole thing happen Uh, so was this your idea and and explain to me a little bit about it (laughs) Um, over the, I think it was in the summer that I just had this random idea to do concerts celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month over the course of the month and, um, to open it up to the entire community so that, because I mean, listen, I love Latin music and I think that it's a pretty universal truth that like when a salsa song starts or, or merengue or whatever, once you hear everybody gets up to dance, yeah, it's inexplicably, um, I mean, everybody loves it. And so I just felt that it would be beautiful and important for the entire Broadway community to celebrate Latin culture through Latin music um, in a more elevated setting than, than the usual and making it a little bit more accessible to like, you know, people who don't really necessarily go to 54 Below, people who don't know, uh, just don't know the ins and outs of Broadway necessarily, but would want to come see a cool concert with like great singers and actors performing their all-time favorites from that you would normally hear at like a wedding. And so that's what we did. So everything from, of course, Mi Tierra to like Mark Anthony and 
Celia Cruz and Selena songs. Like it was, it was a really fun project because I have a degree in, in classical music. And so I was able to arrange with our musical director, Justin Ramos, who I've known since college, we were able to arrange all these songs and do mashups and do like no scrubs with Amor Prohibido and <laughs> wow. stuff like that, where it was bridging. Yeah. Like bridging the gap between, you know, what is it being Latin American these days? Like, what does it feel like to be, I'm Cuban Salvadoran, but I was born in Atlanta, Georgia. And I listened to Post Malone and I listened to Bette Midler. And I also listened to Juan Luis Guerra. So it's, it's, we're a mix now. And so yeah. I wanted to create something that spoke to this generation and that spoke to, to, to my, to my own audience. Like, what would I want to go see type thing? What would I want to go see a bunch of Broadway stars do? And it was an interesting concept to have not only Latin, um, Latinx performers, but also non-Latinx performers. So we had everybody from Alexis Michelle, who's from RuPaul's Drag Race, to Jessica Vosk, to Samantha Macell, to, of course, like the beloved Latinx talent, like Rianca Marroquin and Ana Isabel and all this stuff. So it was a really fun project. And over the course of three nights with completely different um, set lists and different casts each night over the course of Hispanic Heritage Month at the W for a very low price, you were able to see this once in a lifetime thing with like a four piece band and specifically curated for that purpose. And it was really fun. It was really satisfying. I had that idea and then I called the Broadway League, pitched it to them and they said yes. And I was like, oh, wow, okay, I guess now I have to actually do the work. <laughs> and it was really fun. It was crazy. <laughs> that's awesome. Now, is this going to be an annual thing? Are you going to repeat this again? Or is this, that's it? That If you missed um, it, that was it. I mean, the Broadway League and I have been in talks about definitely doing it next year, but the W also ended up reaching out because it ended up being a huge success. They had to add like stadium seating. It was in the lounge oh, wow. at the 42nd Ed. At the, yeah, it was in the lounge at the Times Square location. And they had to add like all these seats as of concert, like as of the second one, it was sold out and standing room only. So that was a huge indicator that people liked this, that I think that, you know, people are thirsty for culture like that. And people are thirsty for something new and something different and something fun and engaging. Um, and a little more like downtown, you know, it, it was a little yeah. more like it wasn't the same Broadway polished feeling. You were up close and personal with all these stars. And that was the idea, you know. And so um, so the W has actually reached out to me with interest to do uh, D.C., Los Angeles, Miami. Oh, wow, London, like a little to tour. Expand. Yeah, to do. And, and, and it would be fun because then I could get people from different all cities, different yeah. areas, which would be really cool, too, and kind of pull their audiences. And, of course, you know, reaching out to Gloria from Miami one would be amazing. Oh, uh, uh, hello. Say, yes. <laughs> that has yeah, to so be it's, done. It's, it's a really fun I know. I, I'm actually really excited about it. I think it's. I think it's going to happen as soon as I sh I finish shooting the two shows. I think I can get back into that a little bit more and put my producer hat back on, which is insane. So, you know, I just turned thirty and I was like producing concerts in New York City with and hiring my friends who I literally just texted them all of the talent. I would just like text them or DM them. Hey, you want to come over and sing? So enthusiastic. <laughs> yeah. And it was really cool. It was really That's great awesome. to see everybody come together and to really like feel it. It was fun. So are you coming back to Broadway? I mean, that is the plan. I think with the right project, I think, you know, I've had such a fairy tale, um, uh, such a fairy tale existence when it comes to Broadway. And I, 
I'm really excited about the opportunity to come back. It just has to do with the right things. It's difficult to to move backwards once you've done something so mm-hmm. at the magnitude of, of on your feet. And so, um, so I'm being very patient and just keeping, I don't know, keeping my eyes open, but not, not really like going after it in the same way uh, had I not felt so fulfilled from the first run, you know? Right. So I'm kind of, I, I'll know it when I see it type thing. When I get the email, when I read a script, when I get a phone call from a composer who's like, makes me really excited to, at the idea of working with them, then I, that's when it'll happen. But I would love to do something that's not even specifically um, diverse, I guess, for lack of a better word. Like, mm-hmm. I, I would love to do some sort of like a revival, like I, I want people to know that we as Latinx performers can also go do, you know, a Sutton Foster type role or can also go do a revival of, of a Cole Porter musical and, and still attain that same level of artistry um, despite <laughs> the color of our skin or our ethnic background. I, see, I think that that's, that's a very exciting idea to me in my head. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of looking for that. I'm looking for something that people would say, Oh, that's not, that's not what I would have expected. Right. Like, that's kind of what I want my return to be. You know, it's interesting. I just saw an interview with Scarlett Johansson and Chris Evans. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously you know who they are, but they've also done Broadway. He was talking yeah. about lobby hero and how he was very, very nervous when he first did that show. And, and when Scarlett asked him if he would come back and do something else, he hesitated tremendously. He's like, eight shows, the toll it takes on you. It yeah. was like, I couldn't even <laughs> hang out with people because I was so emotionally drained and physically yeah. exhausted. I, I didn't want to do anything else. I wanted the whole experience to kind of be over. And now that you're doing television and I'm sure film is on the horizon for you, why go back to Broadway to, and, and that physical and emotional toll of what Broadway is? I mean, listen, I, I understand what he's saying and it is, uh, it does take a toll. And that's actually going back to your, one of your questions earlier about things that have, that I've been through or whatever. And in terms of the mental health, people don't talk about what a high it is to do eight shows a week and then to not do eight shows a week. Mm. It's a very, it's a very big difference that your life goes through. Um, But I mean, why go back to Broadway? I love it. That that was always musical theater and singing were actually always my first loves. Like when I did a play last year off Broadway, I did Collective Rage and I kept wanting to break into song every, <laughs> I was like, wait, where's the number? Where, where's the production number? I'm very confused, but it was still incredible. There's something very special about being on stage because there's a direct communion with the audience. There's right. a direct communication. That energy. There's immediate response. There's applause. There's, you know, you're, you're on stage. It's, it's different. If a cell phone goes off, like you can never really replicate what happens in each show. I did the show. I did it on your feet, what, 900 times. And like, I never, I, there was not one that was a mirror image of the other. There's always spontaneity. There's always some sort of variable, whether it's the weather that day or whether it's a, a cast member being out and you having to adjust and play with somebody else. Uh, if there's an understudy on um, there are so many elements that make it so spontaneous and interesting and alive. It's live theater, you know, and right. so you can't compare. And there are days when I'm on set that I'm, you know, after doing a scene and feeling really good about it, 
And the directors are just like, all right, we're moving on, which means you did good. We got it. Mm -hmm. But I'm here like, um, excuse me, where's the applause? (laughs) (laughs) Right. You're still hearing the echoes of the applause. I did it well. (laughs) Exactly. I'm like, I'm used to 1600 people on their feet. Like, I'm very, I'm very confused. That is so Um, funny. No, it's just different. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's. It's a it's making dinner at home versus going out to eat. You're still having dinner and it's still a date night, but you know, it's just two different experiences. So it's just a matter of finding that balance. Like in a perfect world I'll be able to, you know, be on Broadway every couple of years and, and do T V in between and do a film and do just things that call my attention and things that get me excited to get out of bed, you know. Bueno, Ana, fue un placer hablar contigo. Uh, wish you continued success in your career. And if you'd like to catch Ana Villafaña on TV, you can binge her on her two NBC shows, Sunnyside and New Amsterdam. Bueno, Ana, uh, let's talk again soon, all right? Absolutely. Thank you so much. And always great to talk to you. And before I head on out, new Colombian singer Santiago Munera stops by the podcast to talk about his first career single, Pégate. Hey, I'm Santiago Munera, and I'm from Medellín, Colombia, raised in Miami. Y como pienso en ti, solo sé que yo soy el que te va a cuidar. Y no puedo fingir, te juro por Dios, nada malo te va a pasar. My new single is Pégate. Uh, this was inspiration of R&B and reggaeton music. I was in the studio, I grabbed my guitar and I started doing R&B chords, but I had to put in some urban percussion to make people want to dance. And this is a song made off vibes. I hope you guys enjoy it. You can follow me as underscore Santiago Munera in Instagram. Santiago Munera on YouTube, Santiago Munera on Facebook. I'll see you guys there. And that's it for episode 132 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. I want to thank Ana Villafaña for dropping by. And if you'd like to support this podcast, please spread the love on social media and tell all your friends about it. You can reach me on Instagram at Jack Rico and my Facebook page at Jack Rico 40. Remember, it's only through your support that our show can grow. I'm Jack Rico. See you next week on another episode of Highly Relevant. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... 
Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.